This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Never ignore patterns. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. And today I'm here with my guest, John. Uh, yes. So, and, and thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. No, I'm glad to have you. So my full name, you know, John Brewer. I used to be, I spent eight years active duty within Army Special Forces. And then I came over to the National Guard for the past three years and just recently got out. So I am a straight up civilian now. But my time in Army Special Forces, you know, our, one of our main mission sets is to enable and empower uh, indigenous forces overseas, kind of. I mean, obviously, there are things we do, you know, we're having to strategically move pieces around, so to speak. But at the same time, we'd like for those uh, communities overseas to really take control and responsibility for, for those, for, you know, what's happening. Long story short, that's kind of what I wanted to do when I wrote my book, uh, which is now titled Self-Defense for Self-Development. Pretty much what it is, is it's just a book for any normal average person to get gain a feel for uh, their needs, their security needs more specifically, but also their life aspirations, because all those kind of align. And then from there, it just takes a step-by-step process to identifying, you know, kind of the security needs, safety needs, things of that nature, and the threats that are kind of around you, and then formulating those plans and developments to be able to take care of yourself in those, because obviously, you know, law enforcement can't be everywhere at once. And so that's why this, as I'm sure many of your guests in the past have kind of, you know, alluded to that law enforcement is very, uh, they're busy with a a lot of stuff at any one particular time. So really, truly what the mission is, is to try to give people at least a foundational understanding of how they can really take control and responsibility of their safety. uh, So they're not relying on third parties. It's good to know. I mean, we're always talking about after the fact, but what if we could protect ourselves before these things even happen to us? Yeah. And and actually that 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 is a big thing because, you know, the the saying goes an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that and that's really where this book comes into and anything really. I at first I was what was considered a well not considered, it's called a weapon sergeant, and then I reclassed to a medic. And the thing about medicine is, is that preventive medicine truly should be the frontline strategies that we're putting in place. And same thing when it comes to safety, you know, it's always better not to put yourself in those situations or find a way to get out of it quickly rather than having to mitigate it uh, as it's happening. Because I said, even, even my normal everyday life, talk about that sometimes with like law enforcement, because I train jujitsu and stuff like that. And my whole thing is that if I was law enforcement, I don't think I would want to ever really go hands-on with someone if I didn't have to, because I don't want to get sweaty. Like I'm that type of guy who's just like, you know what? I, I got a eight hour shift that I still have to go through or however long it, you know, it's going to be after the fact. And, you know, I want to be stinky afterwards. I'm going to be sweating, you know, I'm just going to feel dirty and, and I don't want to have to go through all that. And the same thing in, you know, just normal everyday life to where you come across these instances, maybe they're not even really truly 
dangerous or threatening, but they're just inconveniences. And instead of, you know, making them any worse or, or whatever, we should mitigate it to, to what it is and then just kind of see our, our way out of it. That's kind of a different story altogether. But at the same time, that's, that's kind of what, you know, mitigating threats and dangerous situations is, is that it's always better not to see yourself in those situations. And sometimes it happens to where it's really no way around it, just depend on what the situation is. Sometimes we're just in, in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And, but that's where all that kind of training aspect comes into it. Because one thing I do talk about in my book is that all these skills, and that's why the book is titled Self-Defense for Self-Development, is because truly all of these skills that you can that you develop and train for self-defense are transferable skills that can be used in, in other aspects of your life. A great example of that is problem solving. It's something that, you know, we do every day, but at the same time, maybe we don't understand exactly the methodology that we're using, and maybe we can refine it a little bit better. So this is a little bit more efficient and things of that nature. That's one thing I learned in the military is that, uh, you know, obviously we take it to the extreme because our planning is so extensive and, and things of that nature. But at the same time, sometimes it's, it's meant to be that way uh, sometimes. And then other times, maybe it is taken a little too far, but you know, and then maybe you find yourself in that nice sweet spot. But at the same time, so those transferable skills, you know, they can also align with your hobbies, your personal aspirations and things of that nature. So it doesn't have to be something that is outside of your normal realm of your normal scope of life. Like if if you don't like firearms, then I'm not going to tell you, hey, go buy a gun and, and use that as part of your safety plan, because that's not what you want to do. If you uh, also use the example, if you're a runner and you've ran track or cross country during your high school, college career, and you're a good runner, then maybe that's part of your safety plan. Maybe instead of, you know, trying to physically fight or, or something like that, you just take off and start running. And as long as it keeps you safe and keeps you out of danger, then that's the best way to go about it. So that's why the book is really meant to align those certain aspects of your life and then mold it, not mold it, but align it with self-defense. So it doesn't seem like you're, you know, doing something that's just completely alien to you or something like that. It is something that you can take ownership of and take, and most importantly, that you're interested in, because obviously we're not going to do anything we're not interested in. Uh, so that's really what I'm trying to bring to the self-defense space is, you know, find something that interests you. Hopefully it becomes a hobby, like a lot of these things do, especially if you train combatives with, you know, whatever types of martial arts, whether it be karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, MMA, you know, any type of martial arts like that. A lot, a lot of times that becomes someone's hobby and that they're kind of their, a big part of their life because then you have that camaraderie. You have this training space that you're always with, the training partners that you have, and then you're uh, kind of creating your own little social space. Right. Fortunately, some of these instances, you have no idea they're about to happen. Like people are shopping and you're at your car on doing your groceries and someone is literally coming for you and your car. You know what I mean? Like there are certain circumstances that you have no idea what's even going to happen to you. What do you think somebody could use in like those kind of situations when you're caught off guard like that? So the book it, and me and, and unless I can do an actual individual assessment on, on a situation or, or someone's personal attributes. I can't really give specifics, but what I can say is that one prevention wise, you know, you always, it's called, so there's something called soft targets and hard targets in the military and soft targets are those targets that are not for whatever reason uh, defended as well as others. So they're very easy to attack. 
and the success rate of the attack is actually uh, pretty high. Our targets are those that are more defended. So whether it's the structure, the personnel around it, and things of that nature. Now, when you take that into civilian life, our targets are more so it's it has to do with posture. It has to do with awareness. It has to do with, you know, your positioning within certain spaces. So, for example, we'll say, one, if I'm walking at night, I'm always looking up. I'm not in my phone. And I'm always, if I'm walking past people, I'm always making eye contact and probably saying some type of greeting just to let them know that, hey, I see them and we see each other. And so, you know, nothing's going to be a surprise if something was to happen. Uh, also, obviously, stay in well-lit areas. What it comes down to, and I'm sure some of your past guests have, have alluded to this, criminals uh, want to exploit vulnerabilities. And they normally don't go after, like I was talking about, hard targets. They want something that's very easy. Uh, I guess they don't want to get too sweaty either. And what it comes down to is that, you know, they want something that's quick and easy so that they have more of a success rate. Uh, so what normal you know people can do is just make themselves seem like a hard target. And like I said, a lot of that is that awareness aspect of just like you are aware of your surroundings because, you know, just recently in New York City, they've had a lot of people where just walking down the sidewalk and you get punched either from behind or wherever it might be. And, or, you know, at the subway, I've seen a, a couple of cases where people are getting pushed into the track. And some of that is not everybody's on their phones, but a lot of them are sometimes when you're walking down the street, these people as I'm, as I'm watching these videos, it doesn't really seem like, you know, they, they seem within themselves, which uh, obviously those types of people who are committing these attacks are probably not mentally stable. But at the same time, so there's another aspect to it. But at the same time, you know, you do want to try to make yourself seem like a individual that shouldn't be messed with, whether it's your, like I said, your posture, your awareness. And then outside of that, just putting yourself in a position where you're never vulnerable, whether it be based off the environment, which, you know, if it's dark outside, you stay in well-lit areas, things of that nature. Always stay near populated areas as well, because you're always, you don't want to isolate yourself. And so those are kind of the, some of those techniques I bring up in my book, because they are universal. And I do try to stick with universal concepts, uh, rather than, uh, you know, specific attributes that could be only applied to one specific situation. But at the same time, that's usually how you become a hard target so that these criminals don't find anything to exploit. And so that that's more so the, like I said, the universal, universal aspect to it. Obviously, there's more to it. And there's definitely a whole can of worms you can open up when it comes to these self-defense situations. And obviously, it always does. You could see it on Instagram posts when they Someone puts up a video of some self-defense thing and everybody always has a comment. And yes, things can, there are fine details that can be uh, really examined. But at, for the most part, you know, these universal concepts do work uh, if they are practical. I mean, I think it's almost, I don't want to say common sense to kind of like make sure, you know, to look at your surroundings. But I just see so many different stories where people are just completely caught off guard. And you might get pushed in your car and stuff like that. It's crazy. People are just crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. gotten to that point. You know, yeah, it's because, I mean, I, I don't claim PTSD at all, but I am hypervigilant. And that is technically one of the symptoms of PTSD. But at the same time, what happens with me is that when I am out, especially with my daughter, I am always kind of looking at everybody that's in the surroundings because one ever since ever since i became a parent i'm very paranoid about everything now right and so 
as it comes to my child. And so, like, for example, I do kind of recommend, especially for kind of going back to the situation you were talking about. Nowadays, uh, our doors lock automatically. And used to, I had a vehicle that locked automatically as soon as you turn on the car, I'm pretty sure. And then now it only locks after I start driving and it takes, you know, gets up to like 10 miles per hour or something like that. But I do recommend that as soon as you get into your car that you lock your door already because uh, obviously there are some people, even if they're just trying to snatch your purse or something like that, very easy for them as you're getting situated in your car and you're not really paying attention to what's outside of that, that people are going to come up to it, open your door, try to do whatever they need to, and then, and then run. So that is like one particular aspect, but yes. And so when you're talking about crazy people, so, you know, we don't have to be psychiatrists or psychologists when it comes down to being aware and then assessing certain individuals that that are in our space or in our environment, because we all know what normal looks like. And I talk about this in the book as well, where it talks about when I get into a new environment, because if we're in the same environment, normally our, our guard is a little, a little less than would it be in a new space. But every time I venture into a new space, I'm always taking a quick glance of, of what's around me. And normally if, if I don't see anything suspicious, then I can just go about my business. And it's only when I see something that's out of the normal that I take a little bit more time to really look at it to make sure that, you know, one, it's not threatening or two, also, since I am a medic, I want to make sure that other people are all right, too. So if I take a glance around and I see someone that seems like they're in distress, then maybe I take another 10 seconds. I'm like, well, man, they are in distress. And then I walk over and say, hey, is everything okay? Uh, On the flip side of that, if I look over and there's someone who looks like they're very, not sort of nervous, so to speak, but also they're not just focused on one thing. They're kind of like glancing around, uh, not really making eye contact with people, which people can be antisocial. But at the same time, once these patterns start, once these single happenings start to show a pattern, then we start to really build this. I mean, it's just like when detectives build a case, right? No, no single piece of evidence tells the story, but when you have multiple pieces of evidence, then it starts to show a pattern and you really shouldn't ignore patterns because uh, that's when you get in trouble. And so, like I said, if I see someone who does like they're a little bit out of place uh, just by not not really how they look, but more so how they're acting, because if, if, I, if I'm in a coffee shop and everybody's drinking their coffee on their computer and I got this one person who instead of drinking their coffee or kind of, you know, in thought with themselves, they're just more so just really interested in what everybody else is doing. That's just like one thing to where, you know, normally you don't have someone staring you down in a coffee shop, right? If everybody's just doing their own thing and they're joint, they're enjoying their coffee or socializing with their friends, uh, which I guess that could be any place. But so that's the type of like kind of the awareness aspect to it is, is making sure that you know, like I said, you don't have to be an expert on any type of social behavior or kind of like a behavioralist, so to speak. You just have to understand that we all know what normal looks like so that when we see something abnormal, we just take a little bit more time to actually pay attention to it to make sure that it's not a threat. And I'd say nine times out of 10, it won't be a threat. It'll just be something that it's a very weird thing that you happen to come across and, and that was it. But at the same time, it is something I have to take notice of. Right. It's funny you said that about the door thing. I do that. I even do that if I'm in my driveway and I'm not ready to like pull out yet. Mm-hmm. I, I lock my doors because. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, which actually in my neighborhood, we just started a uh, Grand Theft Auto is up in our in our area. And I think it is pretty much across the country. I think certain groups of and mostly it is uh, younger 
younger people, I think they're um, just an easy way to make money to where, you know, people aren't really locking their doors at night. So all they're really having to do is open the handle. They're not breaking into any, I mean, they're breaking in, but they're not having to like physically break anything to get in and they're getting a quick dollar and, and things like that. So that's something in my neighborhood uh, that we're dealing with right now. And then, so on top of that, because I lock my doors all the time. I mean, I'm not my house and my uh, and my vehicle and things like that. Like when I sleep, I'm locking the doors and and making sure that everything's secure. Because we do make mistakes sometimes. And and I, there's another thing I talk about in my book: layered security. So you want to have some redundancy in your planning so that if you do have a mistake here or there, or you know maybe you're just tired one day and you do forget to lock, you know whatever door that there there is other doors that are locked before or after that one door or, you know, whatever it might be. Because like I said, there are going to be times when we do forget to do something. And so it's going to be better to have layers of security so that there is still protection there if you forget to do one thing here. So do you teach classes at all too? Or do you do one-on-ones with people? Or is it just kind of like the book? Right now it's the book. I do have plans in the future to provide kind of coaching services at first, it will just be kind of consulting to where, you know, you would, we would sit down, go over your current capabilities, needs, things of that nature, and then kind of where you want it to be in the future, and then just create a plan and kind of the, a developmental program to get you there. And then once you kind of start to enact that, I'll be more so as a resource just to try to refine things as they come up. And then eventually the plan is to have a physical space for training because I'm, I'm really big on uh, scenario-based training. I think that scenario-based training is truly where a lot of people, you know, that's where everything comes together. Obviously, there's uh, times when you are only training a specific skill set or, or something like that, because uh, scenario-based training is going to show you is one, mostly your reaction and, and your and your actually ability to perform under stress. But that is a key component to your safety is because, you know, we could, I'll use the example of going out to a fire range. You can go to the fire range every single day and just hit straight on the bullseye every single time, on, you know, when in the least stressful situation environment. But as soon as someone is in front of your face and they're coming at you with a, I'll say a knife, because I think a knife is more scary than a gun, to be quite honest. They're coming at you with a knife. Your heart rate is going to be jacked. Your breathing is going to be extremely high. I mean, extremely fast. And there's going to be so much going on that maybe uh, your your shot group isn't going to be as, as great as it once was. And and I do think that the, that scenario-based training is what bridges the gap between training those individual skill sets and then using them in real life. And, and you know, in self-defense, we really can't train some of these things uh, the way we would like to because they are life or death type of situations. So as, as though you, although you want scenario-based training to be as real as possible, obviously it's never going to be anywhere close to the real thing. Scenario-based training is a lot of what we did in the military, especially once I got to a team and we started doing train-ups from deployments. That's pretty much all we kind of do, especially in the last couple of months. Uh, it's all going to be scenario-based and, and really specific to, to what we think is going to happen. Now, you know, obviously that's a very, anything could happen here, right? I mean, you could get a home invasion, maybe robbed on the street, maybe assaulted. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen here. So maybe you're not able to identify and, and train all of, the, all of them. But at the same time, it's less about the specific scenario and more about your response to it. And it's all about keeping calm in the situation, you know, remembering 
all your training up to that point and, and just relying on that. And that's truly what these life and death scenarios come to is, is that, you know, you know, you've already prepared for it. You know how your body responds to this type of uh, stressful uh, stimuli. And then you just enact the plan one, not just any plan, but the plan that's like your bread and butter, right? Because that's, that's another thing going back to aligning things that interest you. I don't want you to, it's a saying, to, you know, you never want to try anything new out in a test. You know, you want to train it before you, you take it to the test. So when it comes to the test, and when I say test, I mean life or death situation, you're going to what you know for sure is going to work. Like you have almost 100% certainty that if I do this, this is going to work. And, and that's really all it comes down to. So yes, to answer your question, though, to go back to it, you know, right now it's, it's going to be just kind of the book and getting people that foundation to really, because the book is more so a template. So I kind of give universal concepts and things of that nature. And then I just kind of want people to fill in the blanks with what they have going on in their life and then kind of what they, they see their life, what they want to provide their life in the future. And they just fill in the blanks. And then as time progresses, then I'll kind of be there as a, a resource and a mentor. And then hopefully as time progresses, then I will have a physical training space that people can come. And like I said, a, a big part of that will be scenario-based training. I do feel like that is a big component to, to preparedness. I think that would also probably make people feel a little bit more at ease. Like if you tried to say, okay, someone's in your house, you know, and like try to make it seem as if somebody was really in your house, how would you handle this? It might make people feel like, okay, maybe I really can do this, especially if it's a woman who lives alone or you have a child in the house and it's just like you and the child. I don't know. I mean, I think it would make me feel a little bit better if I knew what the hell to do. I mean, every you could train, 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 and then the situation could happen, but it, and it's a little different. And you're going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely not going to be comfortable at first. I mean, nothing, a lot of time, things that are very beneficial to us are never going to be easy or comfortable in the beginning. But what you find is, is that once you get over that initial jitters and, and nervous reaction that you get, that you once you fall into a little bit of uncomfortable, then you start to really, I mean, honestly, it, that's where people find themselves, they'll find out that, hey, like, you know, I'm a lot more confident than what I thought I was, or, you know, I man, I really ran fast, right? And I didn't know I could run that fast. And, and it's just those types of, of things that happen getting out of your, I mean, you hear it all the time with like motivational speakers and things like that, getting out in your comfort zone. And, and that's where a lot of people truly grow from is when they, you know, get out of what they're comfortable in and they start to, to branch out a little bit. And these scenarios will absolutely do that. I am a completely different person than what I was when I joined the military. I mean, obviously, I still kept a lot of my identity, but there's a lot of things that I learned about myself in these situations in the military that I would have never have uh, learned about myself if, if I was outside of that. And that's not to say that I say the military is for everybody because it's not. You know, I didn't really even grow up wanting to join the military. It's just something that kind of fell in my lap. But at the same time, you know, every now and then it's nice to put yourself in a situation to where, you know, you are a little bit uncomfortable and to understand that, hey, it's only temporary. You know, nothing is going to last forever. So if nothing else, you can say, especially if it's a training environment, if it does get too much for you, raise your hand, say, hey, I got to step out of this for, for a quick second where I got to step out of it completely and maybe I don't come back, but at least you put yourself in that situation in, in the first place to, you know, you had the confidence and the, the ability to put yourself there and gave yourself a chance because really that's all it comes down to. And especially in self-defense, you need at least 
put yourself in, in, in that training environment. I, I do think that statistically, and I'm, I haven't done the research, but I do think that, you know, these self-defense type scenarios are few and far between, especially if, you know, in our society, we there are some pockets of very safe environments and things like that. There's only, you know, pockets of places that are very crime-ridden and things of that nature, which, you know, that's a whole other subject because now we're getting into you know, why that is and, and things of that nature. But at the same time, for the average everyday person in America, we're normally pretty safe when it comes down to it. I'd actually say that the most dangerous situation we put ourselves in is driving. Uh, driving is pretty uh, dangerous when it comes down to it. And actually, a lot of the self-defense stuff can't be applied to driving, especially the awareness aspect of it. Because when I'm driving, I'm looking down to cars. And as I see certain car behavior, you know, how people are driving, I can kind of tell if they're going to give me a little bit of trouble if I end up catching up to them or if they catch up to me or something that's going to happen. And that's kind of how I, especially in my area, I'm in the D.C. area. So there's always some type of person who's driving like a maniac on the major highways here. And so I'm always looking out for that. And and so, yeah, it, it just comes down to it's where, yes, it might be something that you never use ever in your life. But as the saying goes, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And that's truly what self-defense comes down to. Self-defense is a, uh, something that you need, you absolutely need, and you hope you never use it. Uh, and then at the same time, hopefully it becomes kind of a hobby for you. certain aspects of it anyway. Right, right. Yeah, I made a vow to myself that this year I was going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> No, it's, it's definitely, you know, you don't, you definitely don't want to put yourself in that type of situation on a daily basis, so to speak. But yeah, to do it, to have like a definitely, you know, to set your parameters about it, right? Because the other day I was speaking to somebody like for phobias. Truly, I do think to get over a phobia, you kind of expose yourself to it more and more, whether it just, like, uh, say, for example, my wife is very afraid of spiders. So for her, maybe what I'll do is I'll have a picture of a spider. And I just show it to her one day. And I'm sure she even would have a reaction to that. Probably not a very good one. Uh, and then, you know, as we progress, then instead of a, a piece of paper or a picture of a spider, I show her a video of a spider. And then maybe I get a toy spider the next day. And then obviously it's just ramping up to the to the real deal of, of spider. And that's kind of how, you know, all these uh, types of uncomfortable situations should kind of be. They should be step-by-step kind of a process. So you're definitely not throwing yourself into a situation where you never want to get back into it ever again because it's just too traumatizing, so to speak. It's kind of how like exercise programs for some people, they'll go in and exercise that one time, do like a very like strenuous regimen. And then the next day they're super, super sore. And they're like, I don't like this feeling. Why would I ever go back and do it? And, and that's what happens. You know, that's what happens when you know, people aren't really prepared to just start slow and then ramp it up as they progress in the exercise program. And that's why a lot of people don't stick with it. And so it's the same type of mentality when you are putting yourself in these uncomfortable situations. It doesn't have to be anything that drastic in the begin with. In all reality, it shouldn't be. And so you're just kind of taking it step by step, understanding it's a process, understanding that you're going to go through, you know, some uh, growing pains and things like that. But just understanding that thing uh, in life is is permanent and and. It will be good one day, bad the next day, and, and that's just how you know, that's just how life is. Oh, that's definitely life, all right. <laughs> Hopefully, more good than bad, though. Yes. Hey guys, I'm Jamie Beebe. and I'm Jake Deptula. We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking. 
Brought to you from Podcast One. Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words. Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know? We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked. So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. So you said something that really made me think. So you said, say somebody breaks in your house and you are now faced with them and you have to figure out what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to try to shoot? Are you going to try to run? But you can't panic. How do you tell yourself to slow down breathing? Like, how can you control that? Yeah, so so actually, breathing is the only thing you can control, really, you know, when it comes down to your physiological response. Heart rate is something you can't directly control. Blood pressure, things of that nature. But breathing is something that we can we do have some type of control over. So it all comes back to your breathing. And I, and I talk about that in the book as well, to where part of our training in a medic program, because, you know, when we're doing these types of treatment on patients, we call them patients, they're people that have either been shot or, or some or blown up in some aspects, right? And, and they're in an active war zone. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. And uh, you have to be truly focused on your task at hand and not so much worried about what else is going on. So we do, uh, we have sports psychologists that come in and they run through little uh, training scenarios, a little uh, training exercises uh, with us about our focus and breathing. And I mean, to be quite honest with you, it's, it's the type of like breathing uh, meditation, you know, meditative breathing that you would just do if, if you were to do like a yoga practice or meditation or something like that. But all it does is it simulates this, like this uh, response in your nervous system that actually helps you uh, decrease your heart rate, decrease your blood pressure. And then from there, your clarity and your and your mind starts to, to go back to somewhat normal. Obviously, you're going to be in a heightened state of mind, but that's a good thing, right? You don't want to go completely back to normal to where you're in a state of rest and you're just like, oh, I'm sleepy. I'll go back to sleep. No, you want, what you want to do is be in that nice little sweet spot to where you're amped up, but not so amped up that you can't function because you're all jittery and, you know, you're... You're, you're like someone who's, uh, you know, just had 10 Red Bulls and, and, you know, uh, and, and things like that. So, so to answer your question, it, it is more about your breathing and, and really getting to really understanding how you control that breathing and then getting into a pattern to where you can lower your heart rate and your blood pressure and things like that. And then it, the focus training, that's a little bit different. So the focus aspect of it is just understanding it's a little bit of like distraction awareness. And I talk about this in the book as well. And that's more of a practice that would then uh, transfer over to these scenarios. And like I said, in, in our medical situations, when we're working on a patient and there's thing, you know, gunshots overhead, explosions here, stuff like that, we can't be distracted on those stuff that are happening outside of that. And the same thing is going to happen in a real world situation, especially with people with family, uh, maybe, or maybe you have uh, pets and things like that. So you have your dog barking in the background. Maybe now people up in your in your house and maybe there's a scream down the hallway. Like all these things are happening and you have to figure out what is the most important thing to address right now. 
and now in, in, in certain situations, it probably is going to be running straight to where the screaming is because odds are that's, that's what, you know, where things are happening. Now, if you have someone in front of you and that person screaming, you know, and there's space in between, then now we're going to have to kind of prioritize a little bit and be like, well, I can't get to the person screaming until I uh, neutralize this threat. And then once the threat is neutralized, then I progress down my priority list, so to speak. And so really, that's starting to dive into kind of, you know, specific aspects of certain scenarios. But at the same time, that's, that's kind of the two things that uh, what you alluded to, which is uh, controlling your breathing, because that's the only thing you really can, can control uh, physiologically. And that will affect your other physiological functions. And then uh, distraction awareness and, and really focusing on what's important at the time and knowing that, hey, yes, there are other things going on, but if I don't handle this one thing really quickly, then either someone is going to get hurt or it's going to cause me not to be able to handle, you know, whatever else down the road. So it's, it's, uh, you know, and that's where the problem solving stuff comes back in, right? So now we have a quicker problem solving uh, cycle so that we can run through that very quickly and get to these solutions very quickly. So do you think it would be beneficial for people to kind of work on these things on the side, like little tasks or something, just so you can get kind of used to just, God forbid, if something was to happen, at least you can be like, okay, let me prioritize or let me do this. Let me do that. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, there's definitely. Based off your like interest and hobbies, there's definitely things that I would uh, recommend that people would practice on a daily basis. I think if nothing else, people, I think practicing breathing and mindful breathing is really, really beneficial just for your mental health and, and stress relief. Because a lot of times we don't really take the time out of our day to to really like decompress or balance ourselves so that we can focus on truly what's important. And that's kind of what I've learned, you know, after I got married and started a family is that, you know, there are certain things that are priority way over anything else. And, and, and that's how I kind of schedule my day and my life and then things like that. And I try not to let anything get in the way of those that are on my priority. And, and, and how I kind of got to that point was understanding truly what, what my life focus was. And and like I said, I, I do think, I mean, I'm not like a, a guru when it comes to yoga and meditation and things like that, but that was definitely a part of that, that, that brought me to this space to where I was able to understand that there are a lot of distractions in life and uh, you really got to narrow down what's important to you. And I do talk about in the book too, because in my book, you do actually, uh, I recommend that you go ahead and write out some life goals just so that you kind of have that end state that you're that you're going towards and that these safety goals and, and this developmental process aligns with, because I don't want to introduce anything that is outside of that. I want to keep everything in your bubble so that, so that everything does align so that everything is seamless. And so that there's not really too much distraction when it comes to stuff and, and your life. So that's really what it comes down to is you first, you got to find out what's important to you. And maybe that's not as clear as, as what we would like it to be, especially depending on your age. I mean, obviously when I was in my twenties in college, uh, even all the way up until I was a couple of years back, I wasn't quite clear on, on where I saw my, my life in the future. And then it started really solidifying for me. Uh, once I really started to 
focus on the things that one brought me joy. And then two, I, I mean, obviously a lot of that centered around my family. So, and that's why I wrote this book too, is because as I'm writing this book, it's also a practice for me to make sure I'm doing the right things and that we're, you know, cause you know, sometimes teachers don't always do the things that you're, you know, the whole saying is do as I say, not as I do, because a lot of times teachers don't actually do what they preach. And so that's, that was a good practice for me to really, as I'm writing this book, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, well, am I doing this right now? Because yes, in my mind, I'm doing a lot of these things, but when it comes down to practical implication and, and, and putting them in a pragmatic solution, uh, sometimes I, I found that I wasn't. And so I really had to kind of narrow the focus down to one, what's realistic in our, in our life and our lifestyle. Uh, so kind of to go back and answer your question, one, figure out what's important. And that's, you might not have that answer right now. Uh, and it's going to definitely be a process, but that's where it all starts. And then from there, your practices that you start to implement into your life on an everyday basis are going to branch off from that. And then, you know, you just try, if there is an alignment when it comes to like self-defense training, you want to, um, you know, introduce that as much as you can and, and, and kind of go from there. And it's just a building block type of process to where it's going to start out. And like, I mean, that's truly how it goes. It's, it's going to start out very simply and kind of, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. And then as you're branching out and you're going to get a little bit uncomfortable and get introduced to the, the environment and then you're going to get comfortable with it and then you're going to branch out again. And it's just going to be a continual process. Uh, in that way. So, yes. But if nothing else, if people wanted to to start today uh, with something to implement, I would recommend mindful breathing. You cannot go wrong with really practicing taking, even if it's like, so for example, even if it's not like you wake up, sit down in a meditation room and, and start breathing. If it's, you're getting angry at something or you're in the middle of an argument, take a couple deep breaths and just and just feel yourself kind of come down from that anger or your heart rate come down. And I, and I guarantee you that there are going to be significant. You're going to feel it in that moment. And then the more you practice it, obviously the better you get at it. Uh, but that's really, truly uh, where it starts from. Yeah. I mean, people say that breathing, I mean, obviously you have to breathe, but saying that, you know, when you breathe in and then you hold it, and then you let it out really slow, like it's supposed to just bring you back to normalcy. And I've tried it a few times, and there's been times it actually did work. And I was like, oh, you know, almost freaked out. Um, <laughs> but then there's like sometimes where I'm like, it's just not working. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's like, um, for example, we had a, uh, I had an instructor who I don't exactly know what his condition was. But he would get very angry and he I think he had some type of like blood disorder that the oxygen wasn't really being carried to his brain as, as well as it should. And so he had treatment and you could tell a huge difference between when he had his treatment and when he didn't. And and you could tell him sometimes taking these deep breaths during class after he would get, you know, mad at whoever. And 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 like I said, it's not obviously there are times when we are just so angry or so amped up that Maybe in, in that moment, it's not as quick as, as we want it to be. But because I know, you know, I don't think I've ever really had a temper. I mean, maybe there's other people that would say otherwise. I did. Well, I know when I was a child, I did. I would get if I was playing video games, I'd get very mad and start to freak out really quickly. But, you know, as an adult, I mean, I'll get angry, but I could. But I, I do know for myself personally, when I when I take a couple of breaths, 
I'll still be angry, but I won't be at the tipping point, which is truly what it's about. Because once you reach a tipping point, sometimes you do and say things that, uh, you know, you're never going to be able to take back. So truly that that's where, where I see it as being a benefit is, is that I want to just keep myself under that threshold of doing something that I'm going to regret later. Cause obviously it's, it's, it goes back to that prevention thing. Right. So, so I'll make sure that I'm, I'm reaching that tipping point. I'm thinking I'm about to say something that, you know, it's no filter behind it. It's just going to come out as it is that I take a couple breaths. And then normally I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to say that thing anymore. And then we're able to kind of work through it from there. So, yeah, I mean, so yeah, the, the breathing stuff, it probably won't be the quickest solution, but it is part of a solution that, that I think that everybody should be careful. Of. No, I, I agree. I never even thought of that. Cause like, I would think my heart would be like out of my chest and I'd start getting hands and I just be like kind of freak out mode. And, but you're right. If you sit there and try to take deep breaths, I mean, every situation's different. I don't know how much time you got, <laughs> but you know, like, I think that really could be beneficial in most situations, at least to try to regroup at least. Yeah. And like I said, in, in, in the self-defense space, you know, you know, the breathing won't bring you back to, to normal, you know, parameters, so to speak. And, and, it, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't, uh, because in those situations, you do need the adrenaline, you do need your heart rate high, you do need your blood pressure a little bit higher so that your body can function at a higher level than it normally would at a state of rest. And so that, I mean, that's the beauty of our body, right? Sometimes our body, a lot of times knows exactly what needs to happen. There are other times when it kind of overreacts and, and does things that we need to, you know, as a, our conscious mind needs to tell it to, hey, like this is an overreaction. You need to chill out a little bit. And, and that's where that breathing comes in at to, to, you know, if our conscious mind understands that a situation if our body's overreacting, then it can kind of intervene a little bit to make sure that it's at the optimal level rather than outside of the, the optimal parameters, so to speak. Right. In your book, do you tell like any move, like moves or anything like fight moves, protection moves, anything like that? Do you have like hit them in no. the jump there? <laughs> well, no, I do. If you're if you're fighting against a male, then yes, I do actually recommend striking uh, the genital area, just because you know, you know, everybody talks about how it's not fair to, you know, do this or hit there, you know, whatever it might be. But when we're talking about self defense, there are no rules, and that, and that's what people really need to understand too is that, you know, when someone puts you in a situation that it is completely, it wasn't like a. 50-50, y'all are both escalating the situation like in a bar fight or something like that to where, you know, one guy says something, he says something back and it just turns into an argument. If this is a true self-defense situation to where someone is the aggressor and the other is the victim, then there, the victim, there are no rules and you need to use whatever is there to be able to get you out of that situation. Now, with, when it comes to the book, I don't necessarily, like I said, I, I don't recommend any type of specific like courses of action so to speak but i do kind of give general concepts to go by just to, that can be universally applied but you know to, to answer your question one i do like i said if you're going up against a male hit him in the groin as much as you can i mean it will put him down and then give you enough time to escape or do what you need to if it's not a, a male or if it's 
or even if it is male but you don't have <laughs> access to his groin for whatever reason eyes uh, are very sensitive throat's very sensitive too even if uh you know if you press against this little fleshy part underneath your uh, adam's apple or if you're a female it's just towards the base of your sternum you know those types of areas that are very sensitive to to people you know that that's that's more so what i teach when it comes to getting out of certain and that that's more so like if someone's holding you down or something like that that you are going for those sensitive areas so that they release their grip and then you can kind of get away you know when it comes down to more something that you would need to train a little bit more of like in jujitsu they teach framing and you know obviously jujitsu is a sport but a lot of that stuff applies to to an actual um, you know kind of a grappling scenario if someone is trying to get a hold of you but these framing techniques to where and because a lot of what it is is you don't want to use a lot of energy up in these uh, fighting situations because you never know how long they're going to last. Usually don't, they don't last that long, but depending on the situation, you might have to take off and run for a quarter of a mile, depending on where you're at and what's happening. So you want to be able to conserve as much energy as possible while also using your energy efficiently at the times that you need it so that you do have bursts of energy so that you're able. And that's more so what I talk about in my book is talking about when you're establishing leverage to not just like go berserk crazy for a minute long and, and, and exert all your energy and not have anything left over to, to get you out of that situation. And a lot of that comes from, you know, actually training and, and exercising and things of that nature. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's that whole dynamic of a fight that, that truly you're going to have opportunities to create, you know, to escape or, or to neutralize your, the aggressor. And you just have to kind of understand when those opportunities come up and, and how to act in that moment and not wait. And, and, and in real time, you'll probably feel it. It'll be something kind of like intuition, so to speak, to where you'll just happen to feel, feel it in your gut that, that now is the time that, that I can run or either throw a punch to get away from somebody or something like that. And so there'd be more instinctual than anything. But at the same time, I just introduced that kind of concept of, Hey, like you can't go hundred percent in a fight the entire time. Uh, you will put yourself in a bad situation. So you have to understand when you are truly in danger and when you need to react. And then when you're kind of at a 50, 50 stalemate and when you can kind of like slow it down a little bit and just trying to maintain what you have. And then once you have that advantage and you take advantage of it and, and get out as fast as possible. And so that is a concept that I, that are no, those are good points, you know, because some people may be like, oh, let me go all of Tasmanian devil real quick and maybe he'll go away or something. But then you're not going to have anything left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, you know, in, in the initial attack in a flurry, uh, that could definitely work, especially, you know, like we're talking about with criminals They're They're more so. And this is someone that probably don't know. Now, obviously, if we're talking about domestic violence. Uh, even if you were to flirt, you know, throw a flurry at someone in a case of domestic violence, I'm not sure in that situation they would let loose. Now, if you're walking on the street and you're having to walk by someone and they try to attack you and all of a sudden you just hit them with a one, two, you know, whatever type of series of punches, then they might actually run off because they wanted that easy target rather than than the hard target that you're that you're giving them. And like I said, with domestic violence, that's a little bit different dynamic. Uh, it's going to be more so, you know, a personal, emotional type of situation. And, and that being the case, it probably is going to be more of a, 
a marathon, so to speak, than a sprint. And depending on, well, depending on your opportunities, obviously, if there's an opportunity to escape or whatever, then if it presents itself, then it will happen. But in a lot of my, you know, my knowledge of uh, domestic violence and things of that nature, you know, it, it can be kind of a grinding type of situation to where there are going to be some high level of violence and intensity, and then probably is going to dip a little bit because of whatever's happening at the time. And then, you know, you've got to just find your, the right time to really act on, on the situation so that you're not, like I said, you're not going hundred percent and wasting your energy all at once. Right. And that goes back to the scenario based training. Obviously not every situation can be trained, but as long as you understand that kind of that concept that, that a fight, uh, depending on the situations can have different, there's a better word for it, but story, like every fight has a different story to where it has its climax and then its resolution. And then maybe there's different climaxes in between that, but just knowing that kind of rhythm of the fight itself will give you a better advantage. You just didn't know the concept at all. Right. And I mean, your attacker, they got to get tired too. So if they're the ones doing all this, then try to maybe look for when they're having a weak moment for you to power up or something like that. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, in my personal, like when I do combatives, because I wrestled in high school and then I do jujitsu now. And that's kind of what I did in my matches to where I knew I was in better shape than than other guys, uh, just the way I trained. And so when the match would start, I would just meet their energy level and not give up too much. You know, it would be, I mean, obviously I was, I was always trying to score points if I could, but at the same time, I'm, I'm only going the, the amount of energy that they're actually exerting as well. And then once they start to get tired, that's when I start to ramp it up. And that's when I start to really become the uh, aggressor, so to speak. And so it's the same thing in, you know, self-defense situations is if, if there is not, and it mostly applies to that 50, 50 stalemate. Now, if, if they got a gun or a knife right in your face, then obviously you need to go a hundred percent at that point in time, because that you are truly in danger at that point in time. But if it's, you know, something to where there's maybe there's no weapon, uh, maybe they do have a hold of you, but it's not around your neck. It's not really anything that's life threatening. They just have a hold of you. Maybe you are just kind of holding yourself in that position. You're maintaining that kind of stalemate position and still maneuvering and, and doing things of that nature. It's just not, not as much as, you know, it's not too much to where you're exerting yourself and, and wasting your energy, especially in a position that depending on how strong the person or something is, you could fight as much as you want to and, and maybe not get out of it. And just understanding that an opportunity will come. You just have to be ready for that opportunity. Right. Do you suggest people trying to talk to their attackers to try, try to like talk them down? Or do you think it should be mostly like a physical thing? No, I, I believe if the situation, like I said, every situation is different. I do think that de-escalation, verbal de-escalation techniques are truly the first priority. Like I said before, if I don't have to get sweaty, I don't want to get sweaty. So if I'm able to talk the person down, I'd rather just do that. Now, obviously, that kind of, I'm not a profiler by any means, but I think a lot of that has to do with who the aggressor is because there are certain, um, and this is kind of what I've read up on in the past where there's a book uh, called uh, Whoever Fights Monsters. And he talks about, in the book, he's actually talking about serial killers, but he talks about, 
and I don't think I'm going to remember exactly the terminology he uses, but there's a difference between pretty much the, uh, there's a difference between individuals who are emotional about, you know, the, the types of attacks and uh, crimes that they commit and those who are calculated and are true, you know, like true sociopaths and things of that nature. Because in, in some aspects, if you are, and that goes down to the like the de-escalation techniques should be geared towards the type of personality that you're dealing with. Because obviously, if you're dealing with a sociopath, if you're pleading with them, they probably would enjoy that, right? They're like, oh, you know, that this person's really suffering right now. I, you know, I'm I'm doing the right things to get the the kicks that I need to. And then at the same time, if you're dealing with someone who's not a quote unquote sociopath and and you know is a more rational person, then yes, maybe the pleading. And, and I don't really say that's the first priority in de-escalation, but that's the example I'm using right now is, you know, that, that pleading aspect will maybe have that emotional response and kind of start to bring things down. Now, obviously, in de-escalation is more of like, it's very psychological type of training. And I do think that is something if you want to use that as part of your safety plan, you have to train that because that is something that will go really right for you or go really wrong. Uh, and so for the, those types of training, I've listened to Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss, who was a uh, he was an ex uh, FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator. And he's more towards business now. But at the same time, these principles still do apply. Also, there's a book called Influence, which just kind of talks about like behavior, uh, you know, human behavior and things like that. But how to influence human behavior. And so all that kind of mixes together to really have the best outcome in the type of situations. But yes, if uh, I do think first and foremost, you should try to use verbal de-escalation. But like I said, it's got to be something that you practice because, you know, every situation is different and, you know, human behavior is easily trackable in a sense. And there's a lot of publications out there that, that have good information on, on, um, you know, certain profiles and personality types and what, what works best for them. And that's really where you have to implement it at because it's not one size fits all. It's definitely going to be something that where you have to understand the personality type to be able to use these uh, particular uh, verbal de-escalation techniques. Yeah. I mean, there's no two people alike. So totally. I get that. (laughs) If somebody wanted to get your book, where is it available at? Uh, So it's not published right now, which depending on when this goes live, I'm I'm looking for it to be published in June. Oh, okay. Um, it will, yeah, it will be mostly available on Amazon, and then I'm also going to look to to do an audiobook version of it as well. Because if you're anything like me, I'd rather listen to a book than than read it nowadays. Especially, you know, it's easier to do it while you're driving as well, which I'm sure that's why a lot of people listen to podcasts. But but yeah, so it'll be. I'm hoping it'll be available around June, and then. It'll be titled Self-Defense for Self-Development. and But you'll also be able to find links to it on my website, mindshieldandspear.com. And then also, if people just want to get in touch with me, they can also uh, go to my LinkedIn page and send me a message there. Or uh, they can also send me an email at info at mindshieldandspear.com. And I'll be able to kind of, um, you know, whatever the inquiry is. Uh, whether it's just where to find a book or, you know, just uh, any general advice. Obviously, like I said, when it comes to self-defense, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with it. So I can't really truly give 
specific advice in some cases, and, and neither would I'd like to, because truly I am the type of person that I do feel like it's better when we come up with a solution ourselves. So more so the facilitator rather than the, the answer giver, so to speak. Uh, so I'll kind of facilitate the way you come to the solution rather than me just, just uh, give it to you. And that's not to make, you know, the process more difficult. That is just because I do feel like when people take ownership of their, you know, the problems and and, and their life, uh, they do have a better outcome. I agree. Because then when the answer is given to you all the time, when it comes down to the real thing, you might choke. But when, you know, you've been able to problem solve on your own, then it might actually come a lot natural or easier and hopefully faster. <laughs> yeah. And truly, you know, when we have ownership of something, we find it more valuable. So when people are able to come up with their own solutions, they do have ownership over it. So it does have more value to them. So they're more likely to either stick with it or, or yeah, just, uh, you know, keep it a part of their, their everyday life. So I definitely don't want to provide anything to anybody that they would just use it for a month or so and then discard it after that. I'd rather them come up with a solution that's going to work for them. They maintain that throughout their life and then, and then that's what they stick. I like it. Is there anything else you wanted to add? You know, I, as where my stuff is more universal, I think your podcast will do a great job. And uh, when you know other experts come on, they'll be able to give more insight on the actual, you know, specific crimes that people talk about. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a nice combination of, um, of you know, un- universal type of technique uh, and then apply to, you know, whatever. Because like you said, everybody's in a different situation and hopefully none of your audiences are dealing with any type of uh, situations where they're, you know, they're at risk or threat of harm or something like that. But obviously, you know, we all have stuff going on behind closed doors. So I hope that uh, if anything, some of this information, you know, gets to the right people if they need it. And then if not, then obviously, you know, reach out to people when they're in need. And um, because you never know, because actually I started uh, I wanted to start my career in uh, counter child exploitation and kind of human trafficking type stuff. But I realized that that is a very closed field and you're only kind of let in if you're quote unquote an expert, usually with a degree in social services or something like that, which I do not have a degree. in. And so I decided, hey, you know, I'm not there yet. So what is my bread and butter? And that's when it came down to the the principles that I learned in the military when it comes to security. So that is something that I can, that right now I can give to, to people so that it can better them lives. And especially, you know, children, because, you know, they can't protect themselves. They have to rely on adults to do it for them. And hopefully they are surrounded by adults that aren't you know, that irrational and, you know, not doing the, the harm, you know, themselves. But at the same time, that's, that's more so, a lot of where this book is coming from, too, is that I really want to make sure that, you know, the people that can't protect themselves are protected in, in some uh, manner or fashion. So, yeah, so I do. I, I thank you for having me, too, because uh, obviously a lot of people, you know, they like hearing about those stories and stuff. like that. My wife is the same way. She likes true crime stories and stuff like that. But it's, you know, I do feel like it's um, just to make sure that people don't put themselves in the same situations that they're hearing about. Uh, that this would be the best way to do it. Absolutely. That's why, like, I am, like, making sure that my show is, like, well-rounded. We're going to cover every 
kind of instance, every scenario, every everything, because there's all kinds of crap that happens out there. And this could help somebody. And, you know, why do we have to wait for something to happen to prepare on how to handle it? So I thought this would be very useful for people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people won't really pay too much attention to it for, for whatever reason. One, I think a lot of people think self-defense is aggressive, which is actually not. It's the complete opposite. You know, self-defense. It's you're not the aggressor. You're the you're the victim. But for what that's why I had to change the title of the book, because at first it was kind of the title of the same phrase as my company name, which is Mind, Shield and Spear. A lot of people thought that sounded aggressive. So I was like, well, let me switch up the title a little bit so that it sounds less aggressive and more so because it, it truly is a self-help book. And so that's what I'm trying to brand it as. And that's why I changed the title to what it is now. And and the, really, I'm just trying to change that stigma around self-defense where, you know, everybody thinks that just because, you know, you happen to be training in some type of, you know, physical space that maybe is violent in nature, that doesn't mean you're a violent person. It just means that you're a prepared person. You know, same thing like in the military, we train in a variety of skill sets, but that doesn't mean that I'm just going down the street and, you know, on deployment and picking fights with random people, right? And so... So it's just it's just really trying to change that um, that outlook on self defense is, is what I'm trying to do and hopefully as I market myself and things of that nature maybe it, I mean it definitely won't change you know it only reach the audience that it'll reach but hopefully within that audience it it will change their perspective. Yeah, you never know; it might open someone's mind up to something that they didn't realize. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Very useful. Yeah, thanks for having me. Links to find him will be in my show notes. Also, if you heard in the beginning, I am now part of the Den Network. And I just want to go ahead and share the podcast of the month is we got season three of the Barrel Aged Flicks and Hilf. History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. I love that. My links will also be down below. That way you can like, follow, and subscribe that much easier. And don't forget to check out Strictly Stalking. If you really like my show, you're really going to like theirs too. Same concept, but it's all stalking. All right, you guys. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll talk crime another time. Bye. Bye.